I love Helix Sleep. At this point, I have pretty much have replaced all my mattresses in my home with Helix Sleep. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you, my friend, at helixsleep.com slash opie. I'm not going to count the Facebook user, so I give it to Debbie up there in Boston. You are first on the Facebook, Debbie. I think that's your first uh, bragging rights. What's going on, Nick? How are you, brother? Ted Palawada, RJ Hinners. I love seeing the regulars. Rachel up there in, uh, of course, Minnesota, where, uh, where they're fighting back against the abortion thing. That's what we should talk about this morning. Let's, let's keep it nice and light. Stamman! Uh, Milt Miranda, how are you? Uh, Wayne Boo Atkins and Jeffrey Geis. Who we got on the, on the YouTube? Craig Jackson, you are first on the YouTube, sir. How are you, brother? Coffee tastes very good. Oh, I came across the Opie and Anthony CD yesterday cleaning out my CD collection. Right on. That thing holds up, the Demena World CD. It's, it's such a shame, man. The amount of shit we just didn't do, the amount of money we left on the table. We put out a CD in Boston, Demented World. And then the problem was that me and Anthony got so so famous, which obviously was a really, really good thing. But it prevented us from doing certain things because now we had more eyes on us. And one of those things was um, putting out, you know, more CDs. The Demented World CD, when we were up in Boston, that thing actually charted. On music charts, CD charts around uh, around the country, even though we were a local show. But that thing broke through. And uh, people were buying it all over the country, even though they didn't know who the hell we were. Because the stuff on there was really, really funny and edgy and very, very different for the time. And then we moved to New York. <clears throat> Man, we start crushing it down there. And then I'm like, yeah, it was me again. I'm like, you know, we got to put out another CD. So I worked on it really, really hard with this, um, with this uh, production guy, and we put together a damn good double CD of some of the crazy shit of the early couple of years. Well, we were only at NEWGs. We were only there for four years. So this thing was unbelievable how funny it was. I think it was way better than Demented World, and I'm proud of that Demented World CD to this day. Getting excited, we're thinking, oh my God, we're going to sell millions because now we're really popular. And uh, next thing you know, I, I just told the, uh, the story of the lawyers. There were two Steves and CBS Radio had them on retainer, but then they would also make extra money when, when they had to dig in. And they were always digging in because me and Anthony were always, quote, I say, quote, getting in trouble. The fact is we knew exactly what we were doing until we did it. So the lawyers come around. They're like, ah, you know, we want to take a listen to that CD before we uh, we put it out. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Like, no, no, there's no worries. There might be a, maybe there might be a small edit or suggestion or we might, you know, we might want you to, to take a couple tracks off the thing. But, you know, it's a double CD. We hand the CD and the double CD to um, to the lawyers. It was going to be called Cringe. 
the artwork, by the way, was fantastic. Me and Anthony, early days of photoshopping, looking really grungy and naked and homeless in the subway system of New York City. I mean, this thing was going to take, this thing would have been amazing. Lawyers came back a day later, two days later. We're like, they're like, we can't put this out. And it was, it was literally, this is what's so frustrating about lawyers. It was literally bits that were already on the radio. So we had to follow FCC regulations. So everything on the CD was already heard on the radio. I'm like, well, what do you mean we can't put it out? Oh my God, we'll get FCC violations and people will sue and this and that. And bah, 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 so that thing, um, that thing was put in a drawer. God, I don't know if it was like, if we were going to put it out around 2000, that's 22 years ago. It was just put in a fucking drawer. It was such a bummer. At every turn, the lawyers at these big big radio companies would just just make it harder and harder. And, and even with all that, we were able to figure it out. There was no reason. They always thought so conservatively. And that was the reason, uh, like I went over the other day, that's why regular radio is completely dead in the water. Because they, they allowed the lawyers to get too involved with the, uh, with the content, with the product. I learned something uh, being married to my wife and uh, my two kids. Do you know that you could supposedly move your your toes individually? I can't do that. And when they want a good laugh, we'll be just laying around watching some dumb TV show, you know? They'll go, Daddy, try to move your toes. And my whole foot moves as one. And then they laugh and laugh. And then they all pop their stupid feet and toes in the air and, and move them individually. They're like, all right, now do the... Now do the little toe. And then I'm sitting there like, just trying to use my mind to move the spoon. Who's the spoon guy? With the, you know, with the mind shit from the old uh, talk shows back in the day. Who was that spoon guy? He would sit there and look at the spoon and he was moving it with his mind. And uh, I would say like 40% of America bought into it. I'm like, it's already bent. <laughs> I was a kid. I was a kid already annoyed. I'm like, it's already bent. Thank you, kid. Yeah, Yuri Geller, he would fucking try to, well, he would. He would, he would bend a spoon with his mind and everyone would be like, oh my God. And then the amazing Randy. Look up uh, The Amazing Randy and, and watch some of his clips on, on the YouTube. Um, he wouldn't have it. He would call out all these idiots. He was absolutely amazing. But it, yeah, it was Yuri Geller. Thank you. It wasn't the Spoon Man. How great was that song by Soundgarden? Where the dude is just playing the fucking spoons. Wasn't it a homeless guy or something they ran across that had this skill? And they, then they put him on a record. John Edwards, all right, hold on. Ferris is good for stuff. John Edwards, that psychic, uh, whatever his name was, was live on TikTok last night. What an effing fraud. He told someone, dad saying something very special happened July 16th and 17th. She said, nope. He said, you're just not remembering it. <laughs> you will. Maybe not special to you, but to him. Those people annoy the hell out of me. But uh, what's wrong with giving people some hope? It's fake hope. They sort of got these amazing skills if their Wi-Fi has a full signal because everything's like, oh, well, I think uh, 
Something special happened. Oh, it's coming in and out. All of a sudden, my superpowers are coming in and out. Ah, uh, it was something happened I thought in May. Oh, wait, wait. June, July, I think July. July 16th and 17th. I hate all of them. And I was on uh, Ron and Fez with John Edwards. And I told uh, a creepy story, I would say. A creepy story. Uh, the short version, like, um, when I was off the air from 2002 to 2004, out of nowhere I started seeing the number 11 a lot. Uh, to the point it was really starting to creep me out. Like, every time I would glance over, not every time, but more times than not, every t- I would glance over, and if it was something that had a display, a number display, it would be 11, whether it was the time on the microwave or your phone or, or you know, all of a sudden you turn on the TV, it's like, you know, 211. This was happening, happening so much. And it started freaking me out. I, usually I'm like, ah, it's just some weird coincidence. And, and to this day, I, I, I'm a math guy, so the probabilities are that it was probably just some random, uh, you know, coincidence. Because you're seeing numbers all the time, but something in your head all of a sudden starts making you notice every time you see the number 11. That's sort of where I'm at now. So I've seen the 11 a lot. A lot. I, I asked my dad. I go, what the hell do you think this is about? And my dad was pretty spiritual. He, uh, he believed in, uh, he, he basically told me he had near-death experiences. He had a lot of health issues, and he, he swears that he had near-death experiences. So I'm like, Dad, you know, we're having one of these weird, far-out spiritual breakfasts at the shipwreck diner in, uh, in Northport. Great place. I think my dad would have loved edibles, because, man, did we go in that direction a lot without edibles. So, good dad, seen this 11 a lot, man. What do you think this is about? And, you know, he starts talking about it. Maybe it's it's uh, the people that died in 9-11. I mean, it was, we were just throwing theories around. But one of the theories was maybe the people that died in 9-11. Because uh, we had a bunch of fans that that died that day. He's like, maybe they're basically telling you from, uh, from beyond. Because he really believed that there's something beyond this. And my dad was highly intelligent. He didn't believe it was like what you read about in the Bible, that's for sure. Because maybe they're giving you a message like when you get back to radio someday, don't fucking forget about us. Because, you know, it was still a, a massively red-hot topic when this was going on. So then fast forward, 2004 happens. My dad dies in a horrific car accident outside the house we, uh, we were, um, you know, raised in since I was like five years old. So I go to the crash site with my brother. Shit's all over the place from the accident still. You know, they took they took the big pieces away. I was sitting there in the gutter, basically, where it happened, looking around. And I, I, I said to myself, I would kind of start whispering to myself. I'm like, Dad, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign, you know, that uh, you're going to be okay or whatever. I see this little piece of paper. It's, it's this big. It's like It's like a stamp. And I turn it over, and I swear to you, and I still have this. It's in storage, but I'll, I'll, I'll dig it up, dig it out one day, and I'll show it on the live stream. Um, it said zero, one, one, and then underneath it said exit check. I was like, holy shit. Now my whole reasoning was like, oh, come on. What are the, what are the odds? I, I'm asking... For a sign, and there's a little piece of paper. Not much else really to, to even pick up. Turn it over. It says 011 exit check. I'm like, 
That's fucking nuts. So fast forward, I'm on the Ron and Fez show, and John Edwards is in. I tell this exact story. There's more to it, more occurrences of the 11. Oh, I should tell this. I was on the Southern State Parkway. I was driving my friend Jay, who lives in L.A., my good friend Jay that I met in, uh, in Boston. He was part of the Opie and Anthony show. Like he was, he was a writer. He would write in some great jokes through the fax machine. And uh, we've kept in touch to this day. He's, he's a great guy, unfortunately, and we're not as close because he lives all the way on the West Coast with a family, and I'm over here on the East Coast with a family. These are the people. When you have people like this in your life, you embrace them, you hold on to them, and you keep them very, very close because there's a lot of, lot of fakes out there, a lot of a-holes out there, a lot of people waiting to stab you in the back. Um, but Jay surprised me. He flew in from L.A. for my dad's, uh, you know, my dad's uh, funeral. My da- actually, the wake, because we had to wait to bury him until my mom got out of the hospital. I was like, Jesus, brought tears to my eyes. I'm like, Jay, you know, it was awesome. So I was telling him about the 11th thing, and he don't believe in shit. He thinks when you die, you know, it, you turn off like a computer. And I was telling him about the 11th thing, and we were in the hospital with my mom, and some of the machines in there were showing 11s, and he's like, that's fucking weird, right? And then all of a sudden, um, I'm driving him back to the airport, and there were two towers kind of in the distance, and I jokingly said, oh, look, Jay, another 11, you know, and we both laughed because he, uh, we were always trying to find the funny and shit. He, he really just a solid, solid dude. Uh, he was the one that turned me on to Brian Regan, by the way. I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts when he told me, you got to check out this CD. I know I'm all over the place. I am, I am so tired. So we see the 11. I go, Jay, come on. I know you don't believe in much. I get it. But what the hell? You, you saw the 11 thing popping up while you were here. He goes, yeah, I really did. And then, you know, and I'm just joking about these, these two towers looking like 11 in the distance. He goes, I go, what do you think that is? He goes, I don't know, man. I swear to you, at that point... A car speeds up, gets in front of us. It had uh, vanity plates that literally said, it's a clue, and then takes off. Even Jay goes, what the hell? Right when I said, what do you think it's about? Jay's like, that's fucking nuts. And then I'm like, I got to speed up to make sure we saw what we saw. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't catch up with the car. It, just, it was just gone. Almost like it was like a ghost car. And me and Jay, the rest of the way uh, to the airport, we weren't being goofy anymore. We were both, like, with our eyes wide open, go, what the hell was that? So I'm on uh, Ron and Fez. John Edwards is in. Tell him all this. And the guy gave me nothing. Zero. Zip. He didn't want to get involved. I'm like, dude, this is in your wheelhouse. I forgot exactly what he said, but it was very just basic stuff, almost like he just wanted me gone so he could get back to the nonsense of trying to figure out names. You got someone very special in your life. Uh, starts with the letter H. Uh, I'm seeing Henry. No, that's not it. No. Uh... Harry, I'm thinking, no, not, no, not Harry, because when they're saying the names like that, they're staring you, they're really good at uh, studying body language, so they see it in your face, if you go, you know, I got a relative uh, that, uh, with the letter H, and you go, they're like, ah, I'm onto something, now I just have to guess the name in front of them, and then they're going to be amazed, because they want to believe, 
and half the time the people they give it away. So the, he's going, I'm uh, he, he, Helen. Yes, Helen. Oh my God, you're a genius. <laughs> F all those people. I don't believe them in a for a second. Their wishy-washy magical powers going in and out, and we're we're how gullible are you? Oh, I love that dirty water. Oh, Boston, you're my home. I was going to talk about abortion, but I'm just amazed at all the people that all of a sudden care about about life. There, there are so many phonies out there. And they attacked me because, uh, God forbid, I said that I believe in a, a woman's right to choose what she should do with her body. Oh, what a dumb thing to say. I got women in my life that I really give a shit about. And now they got less rights than, than my grandma had. You know how old my grandma would be if she was alive today? 112. 112. And the women in my life now have less rights than my grandma had. And these guys coming out of the woodwork, making believe they, they give a shit about, about uh, you know, a pro-life. They're, li- they're lying. They're just happy that because the abortion thing has, has become a, a Republican thing. They're just happy that their team won. That's all they care about. They don't care about babies. They don't give a shit about any of that stuff. They're a, a whole bunch of liars. And it's weird because a bunch of these people are like old Opie and Anthony fans. And I'm here to say, pff, back in the day, our fan base, our fan base wasn't trying to save babies. So they're just lying. And guess what? I, I do have to say this. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of abortion. I'm, I'm not a fan at all. But I'm a huge fan of women. And I'm a huge fan of uh, them deciding what the fuck they should do with their bodies. There's not a guy alive that would allow the government to tell them what to do with their body. Not a guy alive that I know of. They would lose their effing minds. Alright, uh, you know what, kid? God bless you. Yeah, and we ignore this fact because, you know, when, uh, when there's an unwanted pregnancy, for the most part, the guy skates. The guy skates, and then it's the responsibility of the woman, and then her whole life is fucking ruined because now she's uh, raising, raising a kid that she uh, wasn't ready for, and the guy skips town. Kit says it. If the woman has to have and raise the child, the father should be responsible for half the support since half the DNA is his. One hundred percent. That would change the issue right there if they uh, if they went down that road. But one hundred percent. Without going into details, I got, I got, you know, in my my life, I got a few, um, not a few, a couple, I guess, of uh, a couple people that are raising uh, raising kids because they 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 chose to have the baby, you know, there was a tough choice and they chose to have the baby, and guess what? The guys aren't in the in their lives at all, at all, and they pay and do the bare minimum as the burden is on the woman. That is just wrong. And for some reason, if you, if you make this stance that you give a shit about women, people will, like, attack you and call you a lib and this. I'm like, I'm a human being. 
maybe you, you work you work with this whole abortion thing. You know, maybe put some rules in place, but to leave it up to the state, people are like, oh, you could still kill babies. You know, they're literally fucking angry. <clears throat> I'm like, I, I'm not a fan of doing that. Once again, I'm a, I'm a fan of women and, um, and you know, making sure they have, uh, they have a choice in this whole goddamn thing. But uh, they're like, don't worry, you still can. They just left it up to the states. The problem is... That there are really there are really a lot of terrible states in America <laughs> that are going to make incredibly strict abortion laws, and these women will have no choice because they're even going to make laws where if you cross state lines. So don't give me that crap that it, you know that you could still do it that they left it up to the states because there's a lot of crappy states out there. Can't keep formula on the shelves, but have more babies. Uh, yeah, they don't, I mean, I, I would love to know what that really is about because people don't, you know, you live long enough. You, you understand people actually don't care about other people. They don't. I think it, this is just one of those things where your side won. Your tribe won. And then, you know, uh, let me go to Ferris. I know Ferris is lit up about this. The current Supreme Court is what happens when people say it doesn't ever matter who the president is. Voting doesn't matter, etc. Yeah, man, I mean, you know, you've heard me say that a, a bunch on these live streams. A president uh, can pick the, uh, the Supreme Court justices. And man, uh, Trump had three picks. And that's the only reason we're even discussing this, so... I think that's why the Republican Party tolerated uh, Trump. They didn't actually really like him, trust me. You, you know that at least, right? They tolerated him because they knew that uh, he would get some of this stuff done on their behalf. And, and Trump's a fucking phony too because anyone that lives in the New York area knows the guy's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. He was his entire life. But he knew that was the way to feed his ego. I got to change parties. He changed parties to feed his ego because he knew uh, there were a lot of disenchanted people out there. So he became their hero. Ah, the whole world is full of shit. Yeah, believe it or not, I kind of look at women as equals. Oh my God, you said that? You used to throw cherries at girls' butts? Shut up. Crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. I mean, I got women in my life. I give a shit about them and their rights. Oh, this is the other thing I want to say. But I don't even think men should be deciding this. They don't know the first thing about a, a woman, her body, and what she goes through. I got to admit that too. I'm just sticking up for the women in my life. So I think the, the men on the court should just keep their fucking traps shut. And let the women decide at least. I know that's stupid. I, I get it. We're not set up that way. I understand, but it's just a thought. Oh, and when does life begin? See, when you become very, very spiritual and you realize there's like an intelligence to the universe, you could read about your God in a book somewhere. Oh, that's the other thing. You, you follow my book. And this is what it says about this topic. But as far as the intelligence of the universe goes, and our brains are teeny-weeny compared to the intelligence of the universe, 
we can't understand consciousness. We can't figure that out. We don't understand the uh, the term infinity. Our brains are just teeny weeny, but we think we're so smart. Life begins when the sperm hits the egg. Oh yeah. So stop arguing that garbage. It might not be in a way that humans want to comprehend it to be, but as soon as that spermy hits the egg, that's when life begins. It's as simple as that. In human terms, you could argue it differently. But as far as like the universe, and that's how I like to think, the intelligence of the universe, that's when life begins. I love Helix Sleep. At this point, I have pretty much have replaced all my mattresses in my home with Helix Sleep. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you, my friend, at helixsleep.com slash opie. How I became aware of Helix Sleep, I was in the market for a mattress. I did some uh, online reviewing and Helix Sleep came back for me with the best reviews. Got a mattress. The crazy part is they they mailed it to my house. The box was a lot smaller than the mattress size. I was confused. I opened up the box. It was shrink-wrapped. I started cutting into the plastic, and all of a sudden, the thing came to life in front of my eyes. The kids were like, wow! And I got to be honest, so was I. (laughs) I'm easily amused. What makes Helix Sleep so good, they got a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? That's not smart. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. And of course, they know everyone's unique. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. Just go to helixsleep.com slash opie, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And don't forget, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you at helixsleep.com slash opie. Once again, $200 off all mattress orders, two free pillows for you at helixsleep.com com slash opie as soon as the wife and kids left for wildwood for almost a week they're they're gone about four or five days um i turned the ac off in the house immediately i got a family that loves their ac and i was brought up with no ac uh out there in centerport long island me and my um my siblings we had to share a fan that's funny, Ope. You only have one fan now. <laughs> um, but we didn't have the AC growing up. No, 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 man. We had, you know, seven, eight, nine kids. We couldn't afford uh, central air conditioning. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was that expensive, especially back in the day. So we had two giant fans. Uh, one was for mommy and daddy. So they had a fan every night. You should do. You should write a tell-all book of your radio career. It would be a great summer read. Um, I, I, I've talked about that. Um, I've tried to turn my Opie Radio podcast into a lot of stories from the past, a lot of good stories from the from the present, a lot of family stories. So I guess someday someone will go through all my podcasts and write a book because a lot of the stories are in there. 
The fact is, uh, last time I checked, they weren't paying no money for anyone to write a book. You just don't make money uh, writing a book these days. I remember. This has been in the theme uh, the last few days, the amount of money Opie and Anthony uh, left on the table when we were massively... I mean, we left millions on the table. Don't cry for me, uh, Argentina. Hey, Ope, I was listening to your frat story. I was wondering, can you explain how you guys would treat the new guys when you were a senior? Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. We got a lot to do here. All right. Where was I? All right. The book. So when me and Anthony were on top of our game, uh, uh, there was a book publisher that really, I mean, really wanted us to write a book. And we're like, holy crap. Now, my number might be a little off, but I don't think it is. Anthony might have his own number in his head, but I do believe that me and Anthony were offered a million dollars each to uh, write a book together about our career up to that point. You know, all the stuff that happened in Boston, the Sex for Sam thing in New York, and everything in between. We were about to sign that contract. We're like, holy shit, quick million. Sit down. You know, write some stuff and then maybe talk into a, 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 a tape recorder and put it all together. And it would have been a, an amazing read. And we would have got a million dollars each. I believe that was just to just to get going. And then there was some incentives, you know. Anyway, we're like, hell yeah, Bob Eatman, we'll do that. The company came to us and said, oh, we hear you're writing a book. And, and we're like, hell yeah, it's going to help our radio show. It's going to help you. They're like, yeah, uh, one problem. If you, uh, if you write about Howard Stern in your book, uh, you'll be fired. <laughs> this is another, another true story. I'm telling you, man, Howard Stern's skin, he plays tough on the radio. But first of all, he gets his hair did every morning to go on the radio. That's not a tough guy. And then uh, the, the thing you learn... Uh, is that his skin is this thin. Wait, can I make it even thinner? Wait, let me try to make it even thinner. Howard Stern's skin is this thin. (laughs) So the company's like, you can't write about Howard Stern or we'll fire you. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's like, we would have... God, at least two or three solid Howard Stern chapters in a uh, Opie and Anthony book. We couldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And and the other side of it, the company was was paying us good money. So it wasn't like we could just blow off the salary they were giving us. And long story short, we never wrote the Opie and Anthony book because the company once again came to us and put the kibosh on it. Just like they did the double CD that we were talking about. They always made it so much harder to be successful and to build an audience. I mean, I saw the path. I saw the path a million years ago. I'm like, if you just stay out of the effing way, I got you. I will deliver one of the greatest radio shows of all time, but you got to stay out of my way. And they were just putting landmines all over the place that we had to zig and zag around. And for the most part, uh, we were still very, very successful, even though they made it very, very hard. Uh, Vincent Scaramuzzo, I'm running for president, Robin. That old gag. Yeah, I, I heard that. Came up on my news feed, Ro- um, Robin. Howard's threatening that he might run for president. He's not running for president. He's still hiding in his house because of the COVID. 
That guy isn't going to hit the campaign trail if he has to shake people's hands. So yeah, the uh, the wife and kids, they um, they headed to Wildwood, little vacation uh, with my in-laws and their cousins on that side of the family. And uh, ha- how's the peaceful time going? Enjoying the alone time, John Quartz? Yeah, I'm trying to do a massive clutter um, clean of this house, though. So I've been working every... Every day, just scrubbing. Yesterday, if you need to know, I was scrubbing toilets. And I was on my hands and knees, just wiping and scrubbing up stains off the wood floor. I did laundry. I, uh, I, I ran the, uh, the dishwasher. That was a weird experience. <laughs> no, I help out. So anyway, as soon as they left the house, I, um, I turned off the AC. Because growing up, we didn't have AC. We had the two fans. One was for mom and dad, and the other fan, we got to rotate among the seven, eight, nine kids. So I think, like, it wasn't even once a week because you run out of days when you have that many kids. So once every, eh, once every, like, ten days, you would get uh, kind of, kind of, uh, uh, instead of hot air blowing on your face, you got a little uh, kind of lukewarm air blowing on your face while you, um, while you slept, um, I remember waking up in the middle of summer. Let's let's think late July, early August. My bed would be completely soaked. That's how hot it was in our house, and my parents didn't think that it was worth you know investing in AC to keep the house a little cooler. Summer breeze, ba 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 ba. Yeah, the summer breeze guy died. How do you die right before summer if your own only hit was summer breeze? It's like, you know, I think I'm going to die the day before summer starts. Who does that? What was it, Seals? Or was it Croft? Which one died? One of the summer breeze guys uh, died right before summer started. That's stupid. Yeah, because we all have beach houses. All right, Jeffrey, I'm not bragging. Well, I don't even know what you're getting at here. I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. I worked my ass off. Kind of a Long Island success story. Came from a household that had seven, eight, nine kids. No AC. A lot of no-frills products. No money whatsoever. One haircut a year. One pair of sneakers a year. No winter boots. We would put the plastic bags over our socks and put our sneakers on. And that's how we played in the snow growing up. So I'm not bragging about what I got now, but man, I worked hard in my life and uh, I got a much different life than how I was brought up. That's for sure. Oh my God, that story alone would be great. Screw the radio stories. I would love to write a book on my uh, my upbringing. It would be insane, especially if I started talking to my brothers because they got stories I probably forgot about, fuck, 20, 25 years ago. I make sure I don't, like, uh, rub it in or brag. I I know I'm fortunate to have what I have right now. For now. (laughs) You're looking at the uh, the lean years of my uh, career. So I'll say for now. Hey, Michael Long, how are you? Yeah, we're back uh, live streaming on the regular. But anyway, what was the other thing in there? Oh, the frat thing? Yeah, I pledged a fraternity when I went to Geneseo. Um, no offense to my, my old fraternity brothers and a few of them I still keep in touch, uh, with to this day, but I thought it was really dumb. I thought it was really dumb to, uh, pledge a fraternity, but in Geneseo back in, um, 
the time I went there, I was going to give you a year. I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Keep trying to play younger than you are. Don't do that. But uh, back in the day when I went to Geneseo, the whole social life up there was um, revolved around fraternities and sororities. A lot of frat parties, a lot of sorority parties. That part of it was really cool. But having like guys that were a year older than you, you know, they were sophomores and you're freshman you're a freshman yelling and screaming at you. I was like, what are you doing? What is going on? You're trying to toughen me up so I could so so I could have a beer and a red cup? That's what I mean by playing younger, by the way. When I went to college, there were no red cups. <laughs> there were no red cups. We had the clear white ones. That inevitably would uh, cut the shit out of your, your mouth and your lip because you, you would break it. And then, you know, you got into the fraternity and then you had younger uh, guys coming up. It was their turn to pledge. And then I guess it was my turn to be an, an a-hole toward them. I, I just couldn't do that. I was one of the easy ones. There were guys like one of the things uh, pledging a fraternity, you had to get three signatures from every brother. And, you know, you had brothers that just did not like you for whatever reason. So they would make it so hard to get the third signature. And you had to do dumb shit like buy him lunch or go get him beer or a bottle of fucking booze or deliver a dumb note to a girl they might like because this was before we all had our phones. Or they would make you do just stupid shit. I'm like, I, I, what am I doing? Oh, it was a nightmare. So I was the guy like, here's my three signatures. Move on to the the a-holes. Good luck with them. A lot of guys really, really liked the power of it and really liked um, treating the pledges like uh, like crap. (laughs) Fraternities are... (laughs) It's a little weird, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I was paddled... I got a bare bottom spanking one. I'm like, why? What is? I just want to hang out with sorority girls. What are you doing? And then you knew the guys that really got into it. Like, what was that about? And that was before you could be, you know what? So they had to hide that shit. So when there was a fresh young Heine in front of them, oh boy, did they go to town. It was basically a gang. Uh, yeah, you're right, footer. We had a bar called the In Between. I was a, I was a DJ at the In Between, making like twenty five dollars a shift, and my friends were bartenders, just grabbing a couple hundred dollars in tips a night. So I go to Basher. I'm like, "Yo, I want to be a bartender." He's like, "But you're really good at that DJ thing." Duh. This was way before I was uh, the Opie people know and and love. He goes, you're really good at it, though, you know, because I would talk to the crowd and just uh, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but, but, I, but my friends are making, you know, a couple hundred dollars cash. So he finally moved me over. He's like, all right, can you still DJ one one day, uh, either Friday or Saturday? Because you really are good at that. And then I'll give you the other uh, day to bartend so you can make some uh, real money. I'm like, hell yeah. All the fraternities and sororities would go into the in-between every Friday and Saturday night. It was absolutely insane. Everyone got so shit-faced. I mean, it was unbelievable how how drunk people got. And every part of the, the in-between had fraternities. We, we were in the back left. That's where the figs were. And then the DKs we really didn't get along with. 
They were on the other, completely around the bar and a wall on the other side. And uh, every once in a while, a DK would wander into our area because he's looking for some girl or something. And also, what are you doing in our area? <laughs> like, like a turf war. And next thing you know, every Friday and every Saturday night at the in-between, there were giant fucking brawls. And I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not the greatest fighter, but I, I never was scared. And it was kind of fun to be rolling around and fighting a whole, a whole nother fraternity. And then the, the bouncers, he would hire the, the biggest towny uh, bouncers. And you thought you were tough as a fraternity guy. You had your little fraternity letters on and you were fighting another fraternity that had their little letters on. And you, you're thinking you're like... Uh, Mike Tyson or John Jones, right? And in the end, you were just a wimpy little kid that thought he was tougher than he really was. These bouncers would literally pick up two at a time and just throw them down the stairs out the back door like it was nothing. One of the uh, bouncers, his name was Bam Bam. Yes, he was as big as this fucking doorway. He was at least 6'4", 6'5". He was... 310 pounds solid muscle and you're sitting there thinking you're a tough guy because you're squaring up with uh with a sig app oh yeah somebody brought up adoption yesterday yeah i think if you gave major incentives to give up your kid for adoption um the abortion thing it's never gonna go away but uh i think you could reduce the numbers dramatically there are so many people out there without getting into it in my uh my little circle of life there there are people that have adopted kids and they did not find it easy at all a lot of times you're flying to like another country because uh in america it's really really tough to get what you want let's just put it that way so I think uh, adoption should be a, a very good option for some of these women out there. But uh, I don't know, man. You give them a bit of an incentive. There are people out there that are so desperate to have kids and start a family. They would pay a lot of money for, uh, for something they, they want. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Oh, I got an adoption story, but uh, God, this is where I get in trouble. How could I do this one? Um, oof. I think if I keep it vague, uh, I promise you it's not my, I got to say this. I promise you it's not my brothers. It's not my sisters. All right. But it's someone in my, we all have a circle, right? There's someone in my circle. It's not my brothers. It's not my sisters. I promise you that. They adopted a kid. Very early on, they realized that the kid was not a traditional white kid and that this kid might have had a little something, something, a little something, something, okay? Maybe a little, uh, a little black, to be completely honest with you. They were not happy that they found out that uh, there was a little something, something in the kid they just adopted. You ready for this? You ready for this? They gave the kid back. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you. The replacement kid, um, I got along with. 
The replacement kid was very, very cool. Very, very nice. Uh, I like her a lot. But the original, they gave back. <laughs> How do you do that? Jesus. <laughs> so it goes to my point. Um, there are a lot of people out there trying to get a certain something when they adopt. It's not very easy in America. A lot of people go to another country to, uh, to, uh, to adopt a kid. So if you really uh, pumped up the adoption thing in America, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, less women would, uh, would get abortions. And then there would be families out there that would be very, very happy. Rachel Heartless. Oh, you know we all have people like that in our circle. That is brutal. Yeah, that is a true story, man. That's one I've never told. There are a lot of days I tell stories that I, I, I know I've already told, but every once in a while, a new one pops up. When I woke up this morning, I didn't think I was going to tell that story. Yes. <laughs> you can't return kids. They did. They did. I'm telling you. I, I, I want to get more details about that, but I got to stop there. Because we, uh, let's just put it this way. We, we met the first kid. Cute as all hell. And then, uh, and then uh, word got out that uh, it was returned. I guess they had a return policy. Eton Burke, that's a big oof. Yeah, that's true, though. You know, it was never talked about again. And then uh, the replacement child started growing up, and uh, we all fell in love with the replacement child. <laughs> Boo 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 bo